Hello all, this is your host. I just wanted to make a disclaimer before the beginning of the show that the audio quality will be exceptionally mediocre uh, into the foreseeable future. However, I should hope that the content of the show itself will override or at least make up for the poor audio quality. Uh, I'm, I'm currently using a Skype mic to record and I'm hoping I can have a more professional uh, system set up by the time we get into the second season of the show. So thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode one of Noteworthy, a critical podcast. My name is Jared Loomis and I am your host, proud to be so. With the show, I'm going to be uh, reviewing new album releases. Every so often I've been thinking about doing uh, reviews of older albums. And I will always, of course, take your requests for reviews. So uh, with episode one, I'm going to be reviewing The Resistance by Muse. Uh, may strike you as a strange choice since I did say I would be reviewing new releases. And there have been quite a few newer releases since then. I was thinking that I'd start out with some of the older stuff. I was thinking I'd start out with the uh, semi-old stuff, uh, albums that I've listened to a lot, and get those out of the way just so I can have a few uh, reviews, a few shows under my belt. And after that, when the big records come out, I will review those. What I want to do with this show is just give people a thorough, and I don't want to be Mr. Nice Guy with these reviews. I don't want to go easy on anybody. Musicians today don't seem to realize uh, all of the time that they are the, you know, the, the Def Leppard and the Pink Floyds and the Queens of tomorrow. They're the people that are going to be remembered, or the people that we're going to remember about this decade. And it's my hope that some of the critics can help uh, shake them off their high horse and start making some real music. So with that, we have got The Resistance, the newest release by Muse. I believe in September of 2009. I probably should have checked for accuracy. Alright, first let me talk a little bit about me and Muse before I get into the record itself. I've got something of a history with Muse. Alright, I'm practically best friends with Matt Bellamy and... No, I'm, I don't even think that's the guy's name. But uh, I've been listening to Muse since uh, around the time Absolution came out. Maybe a little bit before... I really liked it. I listened to Showbiz and Origin of Symmetry after that, and I really dug those, especially um, Origin of Symmetry. It's got some of the best Muse songs out there, I think. Uh, Absolution was a more grounded version of that, a more, uh, I could stay, say more stable with more radio-friendly songs, I guess you could say. More uh, straightforward songs, more... Uh, they're, they're, musically, they were more grounded, more down-to-earth than they were with Origin of Symmetry, which is still, I would say, one of their best uh, records. After that, Black Holes and Revelations came out, and it was an interesting turn. It was like listening to Pink Floyd's Metal, and then The Wall. Listening to the final cut, and then listening to A Momentary Lapse of Reason is like listening to two different bands. And essentially, that's exactly what you're doing. Just to treat them with any respect I will, I will Decide to 
that's pretty much how I felt with listening to Absolution versus listening to Black Holes and Revolutions, or Revelations. They had definitely taken a step into different territory. They had kind of taken a half step with Sing for Absolution from the kind of uh, violent alt-rock or, or something that they created uh, with uh, showbiz and origin of symmetry, though a lot of people do say that they sounded like Radiohead. In some cases, I agree. It does sound very interesting, if not wholly original. So Black Holes and Revelations came out. I did like it. I enjoyed that album a lot. It was an interesting step. It was a good step, I think. I saw a lot of... I saw them trying to be a spacey sort of band. Again, I could draw comparisons to Pink Floyd, though they're doing what Pink Floyd did in a very different way. They are doing a very spacey, weird sort of... Not weird, but uh, almost sci-fi influence kind of sound. You listen to riffs like the beginning of Take a Bow. It sounds sort of out there, but not so much that you feel uncomfortable. The biggest problem I had was with the lyrical changes, which were more dramatically... Well, more dramatic, I should say. They emphasized more of... Matt's political views, I guess I could say. I find it kind of ironic that he's commentating on American politics when he's British. Supermassive Black Hole is probably the biggest single. And by the way, if there are people listening right now, I think you know who you are, that are hoping that I'll mention a certain baseball scene in a certain movie, I don't know, a certain low-grade B-minus chick flick. You're giving your hopes up, because I'm not going to mention it. I don't talk about that sort of thing on these shows. I'm sorry, but it just doesn't happen. I'm sorry. There's bad, and then there's you. Anyway, I think it's about time we talked about music. The way the format of this show works is I'm going to review track by track. In this case, I'm going to review the symphony track by track and then as a whole. And then I give an overview of the record. So the first track on The Resistance is Uprising, uh, which is a radio single. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody in the United States right now who doesn't know that it's a radio single. We open up with a sort of techno fade-in, which is good, though it could have been better. The introduction to any record, I feel, should be very gradual. It should suck the listeners into the world of the record. The song as a whole does that, in a sense, but the fade-in itself is very abrupt. I will explain the reason it does work but I just wanted to get it out there that I think it could have worked other ways as well. Immediately we get a really cool bass line, smooth as a baby's backside. We uh, are kind of reminded of songs like Supermassive Black Hole. It's immediately more Black Holes and Revelations than Origin of Symmetry. It's uh, more uh, tempo-based, and I think that's a good sound 
for Muse. However, a few songs on this record that work the same way feel very cookie cutter. Spacey undertones are, of course, also reminiscent of Black Holes and Revelations. Again, we're, we're reminded how Muse has gone from uh, the, like I said, the violent alt-rock or whatever it is that I said. From now on, I'll call it Muse Rock or Radio Muse or Muse Head or something like that. Uh, they've gone from that to a more lyrically driven Spacey band. like it, but I'll, I'll get more into the general sound later. We get clapping, that's always nice, and then uh, that as well as the gang vocals during the bridge uh, make a really effective unite, or I could say rage, against the machine sort of song. Which is good. But, the, lyrically, the way that Muse has gone has not satisfied me, and so the fact that the music complements it is a good save, but I don't like the lyrics in the first place, so that can go either way, good or bad. So essentially this song is a verse-chorus-verse-chorus-bridge-chorus cookie-cutter formula. The bridge itself, once they get there, is boring. Okay, the solo is boring, and it repeats once or twice. Uh, the first time it's cool, but if it would have uh, extended past the, the same riff, I would have been more satisfied than I am. Again, the gang vocals in the background are good, but it's still a very traditional, radio-friendly track. And on the note of radio play, I said earlier that if you live in the U.S., you probably know who Muse is. Well, they've recently gotten famous thanks to that sect I mentioned earlier of blood-sucking mongrels that have no lives. No offense! Radio play is a little overstressed with this song. I, it seems like every time... See, I have the new iPod Nano and it has radio and so every time I turn on the radio it seems like the first station which would play the sort of music I come to has this song playing I like this song but it's one of those songs that you start out liking and then the radio play is so accentuated so exaggerated I should say that you just get sick of it it happens with the best of singles the radio play is uh, too much the song just gets old you get tired of it you're disenchanted there is too much radio play for this song, but there is a reason for that. It is a decent song. However, if I turn my iPod radio on one more time to hear Uprising, I will personally pay the cheapest illegitimate surgeon I find to rob me of the ability to hear. It 
it's a very get up and go sort of song. It's good on the treadmill too. And lyrically, it's it's more of Matt's ranting about the dogs of war, so to speak. Dogs of war! I mean, the song itself is catchy, but the lyrics he's been coming out with lately are getting really old. I'm getting, I'm just about sick of the, they'll laugh as they watch us fall, they're gonna bring us down. The ending is really abrupt, which it actually works interestingly well for track two, Resistance. Though, again, it, it just like the fade in, the fade out, could be gradual, it could be abrupt, uh, or it could go right into the next track, that's fine. I think the fact that it was abrupt here works well, uh, the ending anyway, the beginning, like I said, should be more gradual. The way they do it, it fits into the record, but they could have done it better. So, uh, I mean, this song, this song overall, it is a good song, it's not a great song, it is definitely a radio single. When it comes to a scale of 10, I would rate it at around a 6.5 if it's legal to do halves. It's good, but it doesn't cut it for me as one of those timeless singles that everybody, you know, oh, this played at that, at that point in time. Which this will probably end up being just that, I'm sure. It's closer to 7, but I don't really want to say 7 because I want to reserve it for better tracks. I'm going to say 7. Fine. Uprising gets a 7 out of 10. Okay, the next song is Resistance. Not THE Resistance, Resistance. So technically this isn't really a title track. There's no THE like with the record. Alright, so the intro is really gradual. Like I said, intros, gradual, cool, near the beginning of the album anyway. You, normally you'd think, second track, really? Gradual opening? It could, that, that could, it could be better. I mean, it could have been better placed at the beginning of the, of the record. No, that's not true, actually. The fact that the intro is gradual works for the abruptness of Uprising, and it's very uh, tightly wound opening. And the first track, Uprising, said, Hi, it's a new Muse record. The second track says, Here's what it's about. And so it adds sort of a good layer to the construction of the record as a whole. The theme it introduces, of course, is the defiant sort of love, which is uh, one of the more prominent subjects on the record. So it's sort of an ominous opening, and then the piano comes in, the echoing piano, which is cool. The piano part is very nice. The fast-paced percussion works very well with the spacey sounds in the background. It all fits a lot of depth to this song. Musically speaking, it's constructed very nicely, and I really enjoy that aspect of it. bass is more prominent, much like it was in Uprising, but unlike in Uprising, the guitar is practically non-present. You can hear it, it's there, but it's like the bass took the part of the guitar. The guitar is now the, the underlining tone, while the bass is up there playing more interesting things. I'm not saying that bass always has to be the boring underlining part of the song, and I don't think it should be. Unfortunately, that's what it's become in popular music. No, what I'm saying is that the bass and the guitar should be there and flow very nicely together. 
and they do at some point later in the record. Uh, there's a specific song where they do that, and I'm sure I'll bring that up. Love is our The biggest problem I have with this track is the lyrics. Uh, they aren't as romantic as one might expect from a song that's supposedly about love. There are a few nice lines, but I feel like a lot of the love story in the song is left to the chorus. It's like uh, they, they use the traditional uh, method of saying, well, we're going to use the chorus to tell them what the song's about, but the verses are going to be explaining it. But they don't really end up doing that here. It, it's just more wishy-washy, semi-political ranting from Roger Watt, uh, Matt. I want to know who the Thought Police are, by the way. That's one of the biggest problems I have with these songs. With these songs are Matt's lyrics. What I've heard from fellow critics is that this is supposed to be a sweeping record about love, but I'm not feeling the love. I see a lot of Matthew Bellamy ranting about politics or semi-political overruling, basically uh, talking about the machine or talking about how people are going to bring them down. And that's all he ever talks about. He hardly ever says, you know, oh, we're in love, it's so great, or something like that. He doesn't explore the aspects of love, he explores the aspects of strife in a relationship, I guess you could say. I don't necessarily see the relationship as much as I see the strife itself. We come to the bridge again, and it's just okay. It's... It's just there. It's not special. It's not great. It's not terrible. But it should be great. But the outro is really nice. The gradual, spacey, and it leads very nicely into track three. very well for the song even if there are some parts that don't. Overall, this song is trying to be Romeo and Juliet but comes off as the Paul McCartney Roger Waters collaboration of a new version of the ballad of John and Yoko. Uh, that is to say it's the thought police trying to bring down their love and love being their resistance but they're keeping them apart and won't stop breaking down I mean, it's basically a downer. It's not really a love song. It's a downer love song. So, uh, if you feel close to a breakup, you should probably, uh, email this. Well, don't do that, because it's illegal. Uh, you should make your special other listen to this song. And you can abruptly end any relationship. Okay, the ending is a little too abrupt. The outro is nice and gradual, but the ending as a whole, the transition from the bridge to the outro was not very smooth at all. The bridge cuts off and the outro comes in and then that fades the song out. If the transition from the bridge to the outro could have been much smoother, or the bridge could have been cut because it wasn't that great, uh, you could have just faded out the bridge or just done something smoother than what they had. Then the outro would not only be more interesting, but the bridge would too. 
because whilst it might not have a very good uh, middle, it would have had an impressive ending. When it comes to score, I'd say this is probably... Uh, takes the place of Uprising as a 6.5. It's a little overlong. The lyrics are annoying, and I don't understand where the other critics come off as calling this uh, a love story. I mean, the, the, the record as a whole. I, I joke about how this is not a title track, but in all, for all intents and purposes, it is. The title track needs to say something about the entire album, as well as tell a story of its own. It needs to say, here's what the whole record is about. This is the expression of the meaning of this record here, with this one song. You can listen to that song and know what the rest of the record is. At the same time, I don't think that it should be a title track and then a bunch of fillers. What this does is it says, alright, hi, this is Matt Bellamy, and this record is about conspiratorial ranting or anti-conspiratorial, I should say, with a little bit of love thrown in here and there. Some kind of romantic thing that never really develops. And I'm just about sick of that, because I got enough of that with Invincible from the last record. One track was enough for me. And Invincible is a pretty good song. I don't need an entire record continuing the story. I don't need Invincible continued. I want the resistance. Track 3 is called Undisclosed Desires, and it is probably one of the best tracks on the record. It's got a very upbeat tempo, at the same time it's got a very smooth chorus, and the vocals are neat. So, uh, the opening is uh, a very nice exploitation, if you will, of the gradual ending of the resist uh, <coughs> Resistance, the uh, second track. The abrupt opening of Undisclosed Desires works as an interesting contrast to that, much like Resistance did with uh, Uprising. The riff in the foreground is really cool. I don't know what, what kind of instrument that's supposed to be, if it's like a synth harp of some sort or something, but it's really cool, and the bass line is awesome. So, um, where's the guitar? The people that did know them, one of the first things that they could spot in a Muse song was the guitar riff. Stuff like Plug-In Baby and Citizens Erased, or Citizen Erased. Those had really great guitar parts, and recently they've just died out. One thing I have to say about this song when it comes to lyrics is that I was so relieved that this wasn't more political ranting. It is an actual song that is about itself and not trying to relay a big message not trying to unite all the British people to kill Americans or whatever they're trying to do. I don't know. Uh, and the lyrics are are interesting, uh, if not perfect, by which I mean that they are not perfect. They, However, they are interesting. They are good. Uh, it is a well-written song. It has, even for the cookie-cutter formula that it unfortunately takes on, that is the verse-chorus-verse-chorus uh, sort of formula, they do it well. Uh, the song is a whole... I have to stress how good the chorus is. Uh, the song as a whole, it's got like an airy, spacey, techno feel, and it's really cool. It's a lot of fun to listen to. You 
song is, you can say, it's fun. That's an interesting take. You know, people say, oh, this song is cool. This song is, you know, and this song is. It's all of those things. It's cool. It's smooth. It's, uh, it's sensual yet tasteful. And at the same time, there's a little bit of romanticism in it. And it's just a lot of fun. Now, I say there is some romanticism in there. In some places, it feels more lustful than full of love. Or maybe it's sort of a sexy, dangerous love. I'm just desperate here for, for touching on the love themes in this record, because they're supposed to be there. I was told that they were there. I was told it was about love. So far, I'm, I've only kind of got that. With this track, I do have that, and it is great, and I do enjoy the track as a whole. But I'm not so sure. Is this record really about love? I thought it was. They pointed me in this direction, said you can't miss it. Apparently I have. <laughs> so, Undisclosed Desires, it is at least the third best track on the record. It does conform to the traditional formula of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and that's unfortunate. But it does it well. Music video is interesting, too. When it comes to rating, this would this would score an 8, maybe 8.5. It's a very good track. It's not too much, and at the same time, it's not too little. It sounds like they care. It sounds like they put work into the song. There's depth, there's emotion, and it feels cool. It, it's It's fun to listen to. Undisclosed Desires, good track. Next. I want to satisfy the undisclosed desires in your United States of Eurasia. I'm not sure if this is a completely new song. I could have sworn that it was like a B-side or something before. The piano's nice, yeah, that's fine, whatever. The orchestration is very good. The sound, the sound overall is good, if plus collateral damage means, and this track too, then I'll assume that that's the piano part, which I could swear is familiar. There are huge gaping problems with this song. The guitars, first of all, are still filler. The lyrics are also filler. Lines like, you and me are the same, we don't know or care who's to blame. They don't add anything to the song, they just rhyme. Speaking of don't know or care, that repeats. There's a, there, it's used in several different phrases. And throughout the record, too, it's, you know, they don't care, don't care, don't... Is this purposeful, or is it just annoying? There can only be one, by the way, it reminds me of Highlander. Or there can be only one, I should say. After the chorus, it's like a, I guess, or a pre-chorus? I, I don't know, it shows up right before the second verse, though. There's this sort of Egyptian piano orchestration bit, or there's an Egyptian feel to it, I guess. <laughs> It sounds interesting, if a little bit out of place, and the tempo has got sort of a, a very apocalyptic sort of march to it, which is cool, and it fits the song, but I'm still getting annoyed of, of Matt and his predictions of the future, of death and decay for humankind. When they shout Eurasia, the chorus vocals are okay, but it's a little too Queen and a little too Matt for my liking. Eurasia. 
goes into a sort of uh, a, the piano part. Also, is there any reason that there are kids yelling in the background? Not not of this recording, because I know why they're yelling in the background here, but in this song, they're, they're like just kids randomly yelling in the background, which is reminiscent of Pink Floyd. Again, speaking of Pink Floyd, this song has got so much Roger Waters, it feels like he co-wrote it. It's so end-of-the-world apocalyptic that it's almost depressing. And at the same time, it's trying to be The Wall and Night at the Opera. You know, it comes off with more of Matt's conspiratorial ranting, but at the same time, it sounds like it's trying to be Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, the Muse is trying to get their big epic out there, and it just didn't work. Musically speaking, it's good, but it tries a little too hard to be good. It tries a little too hard to, to be Bohemian Rhapsody. The chorus at the end is annoying as I'll get out. I hate it. Uh, just the vocals are terrible. It's like wailing in my ears. So United States of, the, of Eurasia is the first, it's not a filler, but it's the first big mistake of this record. It could have been a good song. That's the problem, is that it could have been a good song. The construction itself is good. The, musically, there are a lot of good things about it. A lot of things that many artists today wouldn't do, just because it's the sort of dark territory that they're afraid of, and Amuse is not afraid of that, which is good, but they need to pull it off better next time. This, this, this track would only get a six. One thing I noticed with Guiding Light and the intro is that it seems like Muse really paid attention to uh, transitions with this record. United States of Eurasia goes into track 5 pretty nicely, and as many of the tracks previously did. They kind of ditched that idea after a while, but while it lasted it was pretty nice. Uh, the drums start out nice, but get old really fast. And for all its prominence, the bass line is just mediocre. So I, I think it's around the first verse that the synth comes in. And at that point, I swear it sounded like a Christmas song. I'm not kidding. You need to listen to this track. There's just something very winter seasonal, uh, specifically Christmas-like, about that part. And then the harmonizing guitar afterwards, it might be after the chorus, is definitely Christmassy. And the lyrics, by the way, are boring. The guitar solo is only half decent, if that. It, it sounds like it's trying to sound like Invincible in some parts, only it's not good. that don't make any sense. Can't hurt, I can't hurt you anymore, or something like that is somewhere in this song. For all the hype that this record got about being an epic about love, I don't see, first of all, I don't really see the epic scale of any of it. Uh, secondly, I 
don't really see how this song is about love. It, it says you... There are f phrases like, you were my guiding light, but then there are lines that contradict the rest of the song. And the song as a whole just sounds so filler that it's not even a track worth buying on iTunes for the low, low price of 99 cents. The bridge, I don't know whether Matt's trying to be Bono or Freddie Mercury at this point. The outro is boring. I feel bad for the drummer because it doesn't sound like he's been playing anything but that one boom 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 through the entire song. And you know, through the rest of the record, there are some good drummer moments. This is not one of them. This is not a drummer song at all. The drums could have been not there. It's just Matt's pet project, which was not a success by any means. It sounds here and there like Matt's trying to sneak in a bit of his anti-conspiratorial ranting, also. Otherwise, this would be the second track without it, which is sad because we're at track five now, in a record that's supposed to be about love, has so far proven to be nothing more than a big rant against American society and general humanity. <laughs> Guiding Light, therefore, gets a 3. Yeah, I'm scoring that low. Don't even buy it on iTunes. Next song is Unnatural Selection, and immediately we get more conspiracy, more not caring, more wanting the truth, yet another filler. The tempo is catchy, the guitar riff is okay, but it all gets really old. started out and I thought, oh, this is going to be a really good song. And the guitar part is really cool. It is great, but it's not nearly as good as some other Muse guitar riffs have been. However, we get to the vocals uh, for the first verse. I believe it might have been uh, part of the intro too, but definitely on the verses, the effects on the vocals, like distortion and then the whispering in the background, those are neat. for an otherwise filler song. The bass harmonization with the guitar is cool. The guitars are collaborating and it sounds great. I feel like with this record, Muse cares even less than Fall Out Boy about what other people think. No religion, Matt screams. Well, I'm tired of these conspiracies. I'm sick of the fact that Matt's still ranting about wanting the truth, and I want to speak in a language that you understand, and no religion, etc., etc. Et it's just old. It's as old as the cookie-cutter formula that this thing conforms to. And I use the phrase cookie-cutter a lot. If you have any better analogies, please email. I'll have the email at the end of the show. Clever word changes in, throughout the choruses to try and make them feel fresh. I didn't miss a thing, Matt. He'll change one or two words around and expect us to buy it. But the tempo slows for the guitar solos, and they're okay.
character, but aren't nearly as good as they could have been. The synth organ is cool. Drums are still boring, though. The song should have ended at the bridge. When the last chorus, when the, when the pre-chorus came back in, I was ready to throw myself over a cliff. At, the, at this point, the song was just a little bit overlong. And the overdub voices do not add depth, by the way. And the guitar end is, is cool. It's okay. But completely unnecessary. Again, if they had cut out the entire last chorus and pre-chorus, and it just ended at the bridge, this would have been a better song. If it's only 99 cents, sure, you can buy it. That's fine, whatever. But I'd only give it a, a, a 7, I guess. Maybe 6.5. I want to say it's better than the resist or than resistance. I want to like this song. I really do. There are some very good parts. There are some very good things about this song, but it doesn't want me to like it. It's overlong. It's cookie cut. It's uh, I'm not gonna say cookie cutter. It's cookie cutter. Yeah. So I'm sorry, unnatural selection, but you're not even there. <laughs> MK Ultra is the last filler. I just want to know what the title means. I probably have to look it up. Last filler, but it is also probably the worst of the three. The synth, first of all, does not do it for me. The lyrics are mediocre, reminiscent of older, spacey arena rockers, Pink Floyd and Queen. The pre-chorus is just terrible. The orchestration and the guitars are really smooth. The techno bass vocals are slick. Here, this part here. And it's probably the best part of the song. And then you get to the post-chorus, which sounds like frogs dying. Which is stupid. It just... Nothing, I don't even know what that is supposed to be, and I, frankly, I don't care, I don't really want to know. Here, the synth gets better, though, and then the terrible pre-chorus comes around again, and then the chorus, the second chorus isn't nearly as cool as the first. And this is where I realized that that sound is not a frog, it's a bird choking on one, and it is still awful. I don't know why it's there. What did it add to the song? Why? Did, whose idea was that? People buy this stuff? outro was awful too. Overall, MK Ultra is probably the worst track on the record. Even by standards in music, it would get a, a 3 on this record, and in the real world, it would get a negative 1 or something. It's not, it's not very good at all. It's 99 cents. Buy a gumball. Also, talking about, I, I was talking about the lyrics. This is the last thing I have to say about this song. Blasted song. I hate this song. Uh, I couldn't understand half of them, and what I could understand was yet more boring, over-the-top, apocalyptic stuff from that. So there you go. At this point, there have only been one song that has no apocalyptic lyrics that talk about people bringing you down. This is a record about love, everybody.
it isn't. So what comes after the terror that is MK Ultra? ask you. Only one of the best songs on the record. Finally, after three fillers, we get I Belong to You, which is, while not perfect, one of the best songs. It's in the top three. It opens with a really smooth beat, snapping, and kind of, it's not catcalling, but kind of whooping or whatever. It feels like Muse cares here. It feels like they're having fun with this song. I can see them like rocking to the beat or something. Rocking by which I mean moving in a back and forth motion, not rocking as in trying to be metalheads or something. Uh, the chimes at the intro are a nice touch. Those are cool. And then they also have those later on in the song. Uh, and the split channels between piano and other instruments is great. <laughs> me of back in the days when, like, you get this with Beatles music, where the channels are split left and right, where instruments will be on the left, and then different instruments will be on the right, as opposed to, you know, guitars doing the exact same thing on the left and right. And to hear artists doing that is cool, because it adds, for me, it adds a lot of depth to the song somehow. It makes it more interesting. I can distinguish the instruments, and I really like that. And then the second piano that comes in on the left channel at some point is cool. Uh, it joins the piano on the right side. And that is if you have headphones, otherwise completely ignore me. The piano is cool, the drums finally sound somewhat interesting, and the bass continues to be better than most, though not perfect. The lyrics here are actually half decent, and the formula is engaging. I know those are the things that I complain most about with this record, is boring lyrics and and a uh, traditional formula. And the vocals are actually worth singing. The, the chorus, so to speak, is pretty cool, and the lead into the bridge is great, uh, along the same lines. French is an interesting touch, but it's mispronounced. I, I have been told by a professional, and correct me if I'm wrong, or we're wrong, I should say, but Matt says repons. Specifically, the line is like repons à la tendre say, or something like that. He says and sounds like an Alaskan. When the actual word is réponse, oh, it's lighter than that. It's like réponse, a little bit of back there, not repons. I believe the word means respond, actually, as close as it sounds to the actual word. That is actually true. I believe the line is uh, 
respond to my tenderness or something like that. That is the basic English translation. Uh, the vocals during the bridge are all right, That those being the, the French and then coming up. They could have been a, a bit more on the emotional side, but there again, this isn't Phantom of the Opera, I guess. It, once we get out of the bridge and we come to the chorus bridge, or the second bridge, I guess I could call it, we have a clarinet solo. You heard me. A clarinet solo. No offense to you clarinet players out there. That's fine. It's a good instrument. But really, not not a sax. Clarinet has no power here. It's a good instrument. Like I said, again, I don't mean offense to you clarinet people out there. But here, it, it doesn't have the power. It doesn't have the edge to carry this part of the song. It's not, I mean, you, they, could, they could put in a saxophone solo. It's not like they're scared of copying Pink Floyd at this point. They've done it plenty. And a saxophone would have so much more power here. It'd have, it would add more weight and depth to that section of the song. The outro is okay, but the clarinet still left me a little disenchanted, and the song feels kind of long at that point. So I Belong to You, it, it certainly earns an 8, an 8.5 perhaps. The biggest problems are the mispronunciation of French, which people who don't know won't care about, but those who do will be irritated. That is, if I'm not wrong, again, you can email me if I am. I'm sure I am. The clarinet slows it down, and it's a little bit long. Apart from that, it sounds like they care. It sounds like they're having fun. So, it, you know, and when they're having fun, the listeners probably are. I had fun listening to this. I or I still have fun listening to this. It's a great track. It was refreshing not to have a filler before the symphony. All right, after I Belong to You, we come to the Exogenesis Symphony, which is a three-parter. And so I will review the individual parts, followed by sort of an overview of the entire symphony. The first part of the symphony is called Overture. This is probably the most traditionally symphonic of all of them. It opens with a sort of a, a very theatrical strings and some brass and a lot of drums. After that it kind of drops. It goes into a more traditional muse song, some kind of electric, electronic drum something or other. It's okay. strings are alright, the brass is irritating, and the heartbeat percussion is okay, not great. The strings, I said they were okay, but they do get really, really old. Once you, once they just start repeating themselves over and over again, it gets really old. Matt's vocals near the middle ruin everything. He's just screaming something, the lyrics make no sense, they, I can't, it's like a Nirvana record. I cannot understand a thing that anybody is saying. The guitar solo is absolutely pathetic. I think Matt needs to realize that strumming fast is not a guitar solo. 
I want to know if it's technically a symphony of half his traditional muse. Uh, when it comes to the symphony as a whole, most of it is actually traditional muse, or it ends up being so. And it's which is okay if you want to call it, you know, a muse symphony. It's it's acceptable, but not as good as it could be. The fade in from uh, overture to cross pollination, which is part two, is iffy but acceptable. Uh, overall, part one probably around a, a six. Uh, when it, uh, in retrospect, if you well, if we if we want to give the best part a ten, then cross or uh, <clears throat> overture would have a seven. Yeah, you know, on on a scale of all the other tracks, it gets probably a six, maybe f five point five or six. It's all right. It's an all, it's an okay opener, but Matt's vocals and the lame guitar solo and the fact that it's half traditional Muse sound or well. Not traditional anymore, but you know the 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 sound of Muse ruins it. Exogenesis Symphony Part Two is called Cross Pollination, and the transition from Part One it's not the best. Uh, the piano centric nature of the song is all right. The the piano bit with the uh, it, it has a, a very open feel, very concert hall sort of sound, which is nice. It it feels like it was recording recorded in a in a concert hall or a symphony center of some sort. There was some kind of thing in the middle or in the near the beginning that sounded like the choir from the Legend of Zelda series, uh, specifically like Ocarina of Time and uh, Twilight Princess. Ah, oh, I said the word. I was just curious as to what that was. It sounded like some kind of keyboard chorus or something. More conspiracies, but at this point I'm just immune to it. They've done it so much that I'm just sick of it. I'm just ignoring that. And the symphony ends, and it's just boring all, uh, boring new, I should say, muse. The, the, that is, the symphonic part ends, and it comes to yet more muse. More conspiratorial, over-the-top theatrical muse. I wonder also if they're trying to do Bohemian Rhapsody again. If they think that this exogenesis symphony is going to be something that people, you know, remember forever as one of the greatest things of uh, the decade. In all honesty, while it was a good idea, it didn't play out as well as it should have. And the piano part is repeated. You can decide if that's good or bad. I see it as kind of a non-creative way to make the song longer. And the outro is boring. It doesn't transition nearly as well as it needs to. Six stars. Exogenesis Part 3 is called Redemption. Over, 
I've said several times that there are three best tracks on this record, and this is one of them. It, it might be the best track on the record, which is good because it is the closing track. It needs to be the opus, or one of them. It needs to be one of the best tracks. It needs to... You need to go out with a bang. You need to remember the ending. Uh, with any great film, you tend to it tends to uh, begin as well as it ends, or end as well as it began. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Star Wars. After the title crawl, it opens with, uh, you see the, the rebel starship, um, above you on the screen, uh, so to speak. It's not a 3D movie, obviously, yet. And then after that, the enormous triangular Imperial Star Destroyer shows up, and it goes on and on, and you, you remember that. That, that's one of the things I remember most about seeing that movie for the first time when I was a kid. And then the finale of that movie was really extraordinary with the uh, the trench run on the Death Star when they blow it up and then they have the medal ceremony at the end. So I feel the same way about uh, books and music. They need to, the beginning needs to suck you in, the middle needs to keep you involved, and the ending needs to send you off with a bang. You need to be able to remember that. It needs to be a memorable story. Thus, the ending of this is as good as the beginning was constructed. Um, this song as a whole is probably one of the best. It is in. It is either the second or the best song on the record. piano, first of all, is enchanting, mesmerizing. This part reminds me of the, the critics who foolishly stated that the record was about love, and it makes me think, oh, maybe they weren't so stupid after all. obviously the best part of the symphony. The orchestration that comes in the second time the piano part plays is very nice. And I finally get emotion from this from this record. I get real emotion, not only from the song, but I experience emotion in reaction. It sounds like they care. It sounds like they're working hard. It sounds like they're trying to affect you, but without trying too hard. They're not trying so hard to be good that it gets away in the way of the emotion of the song. Uh, it's expressive and emotional without being over-the-top or silly. The Muse Rock session this time comes in very nicely. It feels natural. If you take this out of the symphony, it feels very natural. It feels, this is the song out of the symphony that doesn't sound like a symphony, like it's trying to be a symphony. It could be an individual song. I tend to think of it less as part three of the exogenesis and more as the end of the record. When I do that, it's great. I can take it out of context of the symphony, and it's a great track, but in terms of the symphony, at this point, it's just lost. Up to the point of the orchestration coming in and then the piano, it's good, and then once the Muse Rock session comes in, I roll my eyes uh, if I think of it as a symphony. Apart from that, it's great. The song is called Redemption. It feels like a song about redemption. It feels like the end. It feels like all this, after all this hardship, the, the, the lyrics are basically, let's start over and get it right this time, etc., etc. 
And the lyrics really match the music. It complements the music. It works very well, not only for the record, but as a track. And as the last part of the symphony, sure. I'm going to play you a clip here. Somehow, every time I listen to that, it gives me goosebumps. I don't know what it is about that part. Every single time, though. And there's a bit of angst about humankind again. The piano repeats as the outro, which is okay. The outro itself is very good, and a good outro for the record, as the song is as a whole. Exogenesis Part 3 Redemption earns a 9 or a 10. On its own out in the real world, it's still a great song. It's still uh, something that I can say, that came out in 2009. That was a really good year that uh, that had this song in it. That's one of those songs that uh, you can remember the decade for that song. If Undisclosed Desires is not the best song on the record, then this is. So you can listen to it and uh, decide for yourself. As a whole, the Exogenesis Symphony is inconsistent it's not a very good symphony. The transitions are all boring. There's not enough emotion for me to care, not enough orchestration for me to care. It's not epic enough. I can't listen to it as a whole and tell myself it's one show without going to confession, which is unfortunate. This could have been a, a very interesting piece of uh, the, uh, the naughties uh, and the music in this era. Now, some parts of the acts are decent, but the flow is all wrong. It's good that they put their own music into the symphonies. They put the, the juice of Muse, or the new juice of Muse, I should say. And they, they shot their personality into this orchestration, but it bogs down the, symf the, the symphony as a whole uh, on some sections. Exogenesis, as one part, s saves itself with Redemption. If, if Redemption was not part of it, I would rate it around a 5, but Redemption is enough to give it a 7 maybe a 7.5. It was, a, it was a, a lost opportunity. As a whole, The Resistance, it has some good songs, it has some bad songs. The symphony is iffy. When it comes to the track listing, I feel like they, uh, they put five decent tracks, put in three fillers, and then said, let's do a symphony real quick so that uh, we can have an excuse not to have any more than 11 tracks. Granted, it is decently length. A few of the songs run a little long, and therefore, if there were any many more tracks than there are, if it, if it went up to 14 tracks, this record would be too long. As it is, it runs at a decent length, even if the songs themselves don't feel like it. This album makes me wonder if Muse is just trying to be famous now. Now that they've got all the attention from uh, certain films and their fan base, and they're more known in the U.S. if they're just putting putting more out of what people liked, trying to be famous, trying to get out some good singles, and other than that, um, not really caring much about the music. This is a huge mistake, because it's those kind of records that do not go down in the books as great achievements in music. If Another Brick in the Wall was the only good song off of the wall, I wouldn't be listening to it. If Bohemian Rhapsody was not just one part of an enormously fantastic record, I would not have it on my iPod. If Where the Streets Have No Name was the only good song you 2 ever put out, I would not be listening to them. 
I don't think artists take that seriously enough, and at the same time, I think they take themselves too seriously. I think they should have incorporated more of the olden day muse, and it feels weird to say olden day since Absolution only just came out in 2004. The guitars in this record were gone. There was maybe one decent solo. Like I said, it had character, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. What they've done is replaced the guitar-driven stuff and the... Uh, the songs you could listen to several times over and, and and still enjoy with these filler songs. They're they're being more creative as a band. He's letting his guitar slack and his lyrics and his politics are what are uh, taking the front seat. This record is a step forward from Black Holes and Revelations, not necessarily a step up. They did a good job at some points, they had the right ideas at some points, and at other times, I would only pick out a few things that I liked about a song. Now that they're here, I can only wonder where where are they going to go now? What's the next step Muse is going to take? Where are they going to go? I just hope that they don't try to do The Wall or Dark Side of the Moon or Sheer Heart Attack or anything like that. At this point, I've caught enough references from other bands to satisfy me for a lifetime. Uh, I, I'm very uh, anxious to see what happens. I hope that they don't let the fame get to their heads too much. And I'm not talking about the Lady Gaga album. Uh, last thing is the artwork. What is it? Is it is it a, a, a complex mathematical equation? A coded statement of some sort? Do the, do the colored shapes somehow spell Matt is dead? Oh, well, I hope so. Maybe it's some twisted allegory that it's something to do with the human race and how we're all corrupt and taking increasingly deliberate steps toward destroying ourselves and one another and spiraling downward towards our own inevitable self-inflicted doom. That sounds like Muse. Thanks for listening to episode one of Noteworthy, a critical podcast. I, uh, I, while, while the audio quality isn't great and won't be great for a while, I did have a lot of fun recording the show I, and I, I will certainly accept your feedback. Let me know if you had as much fun. Uh, you can email at noteworthycriticalpodcast at gmail.com. I'm sure eventually I'll have a Facebook page for the show. Maybe in MySpace, I don't know. But you can send all your feedback, suggestions, requests for future reviews to that email address. Again, that's noteworthycriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Please note that all audio content in the show is used for entertainment and educational purposes only, and therefore I do not claim any copyright ownership over them, period. Nor will I give you any of these MP3s if you ask for them, because that's just not cool. All original content of the show is the intellectual property of Noteworthy, a critical podcast, and its owner, and therefore is not up for grabs. So I would appreciate it if you didn't resell any of this, especially seeing as you got it for free. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you.